Back on the Northland Sports page, I'm pretty sure I just taught Dave Cook a little something about late 80s, early 90s music with some new kids on the block. I don't either know if you were familiar with that one or maybe familiar with just how familiar I was with that song. Well, no, I'm thinking, you know, we overplay the Take a Chance on Me for the draft. There's your new draft song. Hanging Tough? Yes, because of the first, like, two sentences where they talk about new kids and whatever, whatever. There you go. So, But you realize the new kids were a group. You could pick any of their songs right, and be Timberlake's all right. That's band, right? I know. He had a band like that. He did have a boy band, yes, but several years later, and they would be called Sync. Got it, got it, got it. I was going right. to say, you're going to... For all the boy band fans that we have in our I listening just, demographic, you just buried yourself. I just tweaked them. But I'm guessing that might be three people that are boy band fans <laughs> in our listening audience. Oh, yeah. Thankfully, it's not the entirety of our listening audience, though, and our great sponsors are a big part of why that audience continues to grow. Yeah, let's start with Sammy's Pizza. Did I tell you about a month, month and a half ago, I went to Sammy's downtown and Mark Williams made me a gluten-free pizza? You did tell me that. And I haven't had Sammy's in forever, and you forget how, when you can't have them, you forget how good they are. I will tell you that Duluthy's home portion of their high school football season ended last night. Hermantown all over East, 42-6 to last night, by the way. But one of the things that I will miss most about not doing home football games at East until fall of you know 24 is the Sammy's Pizza at halftime. Not only do they sponsor our show, they sponsor Duluthy's football as well. There are a lot of eyes on the press box come halftime of home games. We, uh, we also, when we were talking about dinner, not, not yesterday afternoon, but the night before, Right. My my sister asked my mom, what haven't you had here that you'd like to have? And Dana and I both at the same time said, well, you haven't had a Sammy's. You got it. You're in Duluth. Right. I was going to say, have you been until you've done that? Right. Exactly. Avenue 45, Mount Royal Bottle Shop, Stewart's Bike Sports and Trophies, Pier B Resort, Kohler Toyota and Kohler Hyundai, Comfort Systems, Arola Architecture Studio, Hoops Brewing, OAR Holdings, Krauss Heating and Cooling, Advantage Element Screen Printing, and the Blackwoods Group, including their locations on London Road. In Proctor and on Two Harbors, Blackwater downtown, and Tavern on the Hill up by the schools. You know, you mentioned comfort systems and Krause heating and cooling. And for me at my home, that's a double-edged sword, so to speak, because comfort systems obviously a big part of my home living. And Krause put in a new furnace actually during the COVID year for us. And this week has been weird. Mother Nature's had multiple personalities in this area for a long yep, time. Yep. But we were in the 80s earlier in the week. And then last night, I heard the heat kick on. And I thought of you and went, oh, Dave will be in a good mood tomorrow because it's the kind of weather that you love. Absolutely. Speaking of, we got to get ourselves at the house. We have to get either an air exchanger or an air conditioner in because our windows are already fogging over. And so that's not good in the winter. So we got to get that done, too. It is tough to survive winter without it. But speaking of tough, we have a little different opening topic today. Different in a number of ways because we kicked off the show with a guest, which we don't normally do. But when Anthony LaPanta has been on the show, first of all, if he has the opportunity to do it, you don't say no. Correct. And his mantra has always been he likes to kick it off. He likes to go right at 10. So we didn't do the opening topic in hour one today. We're going to do it right here in hour number two. And earlier this week, we actually got a request to continue the bus driving mantra. So we may do that down the road, pun intended. But we were shook oh, a little bit. Oh, I didn't bit. even catch that. There that you was go. good. But we were shook a little bit, and I think the sports world, and specifically the football world, maybe even more specific, the city of Chicago, was shook by some news with the passing of Dick Butkus. And I think a lot of people, no matter how big of a football fan they are, because of his you know, TV career as well, everybody seemed to know who Dick Butkus was. And you called me, I was up in the East Soccer Press box, and you called me and said, hey, I think we got to change the way that we do this. And I said, okay, I'm open to ideas. What do you got? And he said, well, when you think of Butkus, he's one of the ultimate tough guys to play a sport. So we wanted to talk in general about tough guys historically, tough guys currently, and maybe the best conversation of all might be 
How has the definition of tough in sports changed over the years? Oh, absolutely. Because, I mean, Butkus did stuff to make people fear him. Right. Right. And I think right now, if you had a player, especially in the NFL with their focus, that was trying to make players fear him, uh, I think there would be a lot of negative repercussions. But you ask people, you know, who watched football in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, who the, who the scariest player is, and you're going to get most of them say Dick Buckus because he did just that. I was going to say, I can think of two. Buckus would be there. Whether or not Jack Lambert is in front of him or behind him, I think he's on the list. Well, and Ray Nitschke, right? right. Those are the three. Lambert, um, uh, Buckus, and Nitschke. But here's the thing. You didn't have great big scary dogs in the 80s named Nitschke or um, Lambert, but you had a lot of them named Buckus. Including the guy, the one on Rocky, right? The the guy's pit bull in Rocky. Right. He was Buttkiss. And so um, Buttkiss was Which the definition now it's just, of tough guy. Well, and now it's just something that people accuse me of doing to all our guests. Brian, all he does is Buttkiss. <laughs> but that's, that's completely different. But speaking of completely different, again, we had a great conversation before the show started today because we were trying to map this out. And we said, you know, when we talk about current tough guys... How do you define it? Right. Because we looked at the Twins, because let's face it, the Twins are a great headline for good reason. We're going to spend most of the next segment about them as well. But when you look at the Twins, you say, okay, who's their tough guy? Do they have somebody who tries to intimidate? I don't know. Carlos Correa might be the closest thing. But at the same time, is is tough being internally tough? We talk about mental fortitude, mental toughness. Is it overcoming adversity? Well, then back to the bus driver topic, you brought up Correa and Anthony LaPanta steered you, another pun, to Royce Lewis, that is another definition of tough. A week ago, we didn't know if he was even going to play. This week, he's been the best player in this playoff series win yep, they have. Yep. And, and I mean, using Lewis as an example, look at all the stuff uh, Buxton is doing to get back, you know, with all the breaks and, and all that stuff that's going on. I mean, that's another example of tough guy. But I think baseball is the toughest one. To define? Yes. Probably. Be- because when I think tough in baseball, for the most part, I go to hard-throwing uh, pitchers. Right. right. Randy Johnson, tough guy. Nolan Ryan. I mean, not just a tough guy with the with the ball. I wish but, I had the Mike Tice sounder right now. Tough guy town. Tough guy town. Right. But think of the fight with Robin Ventura where the 40-year-old Nolan Ryan just kicked the crap out of right. out of. Uh, or we've guy. all seen the memes of Nolan Ryan continuing to pitch with blood running down That's, his face for the entirety of the game. Absolutely. But, I mean, talk to the old-timers about Don Drysdale, right, where, where he'd just as soon hit you in the shoulder blades as to throw a strike. Or Bob Gibson in the stare, right? Um, you know, Randy Johnson and the left-handed 100 miles an hour. Uh, how about David Ortiz? Dave, I mean, he, we talked earlier about the we didn't need him thing, but when he came up to bat, that was a tough guy, right? He was going to fight and scratch and do whatever he needed to do to win. And I think you're exactly right, but I am shocked and also pleased that you brought somebody like him up because there are two topics in baseball with you that I try to tread carefully because I know how dismissive of them you're going to be. Number one is my love of closers. You go, ah, they failed at something, and that's why they're there. I look at designated hitters the same way. They failed at playing the field, so that's why they're there. But David Ortiz proved that you could still be pretty tough without playing a defensive position very well. Granted, I know he was at first base for a while, but it was a hatchet job at first base. Right, and remember, I've always said there's two guys should be in the Hall of Fame for those positions. One uh, is is the kid from uh, the Yankees. Right, he should be your closer in the Hall of Fame, Mariano Rivera. Thank you. Okay. Uh, and then he's very much not a kid anymore. Your, but go your, ahead. your DH uh, in the Hall of Fame should be David Ortiz. Now, if you want to talk about every other one, we can do that. But those two should be in the Hall of Fame. They're the best in the business. Real quick breaking news, and it's even more serving because I brought him up as a potential tough guy currently for a Minnesota team. 
We didn't have this to discuss with Anthony LaPanta this morning, but just across my phone, the Wild have inked Ryan Hartman to a three-year extension with $4 million as the number involved. Well, that's, not a, that's not a terrible number. Um, I, the average annual value of the $4 million. Oh, it's annual $4 million? Yep. Okay, that's nuts. <laughs> I thought you meant for the three years total. No, that would be a bargain. Yeah, well, that's where he kind of was, Brian, the whole different conversation about blocking kids. Um, so, yeah, I think I think in baseball, it's almost fortitude because you're right about Royce. I think Correa can be considered that too because he plays through injuries. You never hear him complain and all that. But uh, it's easier, I think, in the other sports, right? The NHL was the one that I find most difficult because – Often tough guys are considered the guys that throw haymakers. That drop the gloves. Right? And well, and for, for a long time it was. I still think you have to put guys like Bob Probert and Ty Domi and those guys in that mix. But at the same time, it, it's different now. You can be tough without that element. Right. And look at a guy like, obviously, Gordie Howe, right? The, the Gordie Howe hat trick. I mean, he's, right. he's got something tough named after him. But the first guy that came to mind when I said NHL tough guy was Bufflin. Because there's a guy who could do anything on the ice and people veered away from him, right? Because he was going to blow you up or he was going to make you look bad, like the ultimate tough guy. He didn't need to kill you. He could just do anything to make you look bad. He could just glare at you. I thought the Wild used to have that in Chris Stewart. Obviously, with his mental health going where it did, it becomes a sad story. Obviously, the Wild had that, I think, with Derek Bugard as well. Now, yes, was fighting part of his game? Absolutely. But he could just stare at you and the game changed. Ryan Reeves, though, is a great question for me because I, he was a really good leader in the locker room. But I, if, if, if nobody's going to mess with you technic- and you're not helping on the ice at all, you're really not a tough guy. Well, I was going to say, how misleading can that be? Because I think until Ryan Reeves was donning a Minnesota sweater, we all viewed him as he's just a punk. He's just out there to fight. He can't do anything with a stick, skates, or the puck. Okay, that might have been true, but then he got here and we thought, what a great glue guy this is, and I think we were bummed to see him go. Yep. So our, our fighters, that's a different topic. Our NHL fighters misconstrued, misunderstood. I, I think so, because uh, Drew Doherty is a tough guy. But maybe the most talented player on that roster. Landeskog is a tough guy, right? Sidney Crosby, like he, he will do anything to well, win. Well, Anthony just throw- talked about it. He yes. threw haymakers in a preseason game. But then look at his contemporary Bergeron. Like, he does weird stuff, too, and nobody really wants to be on the ice with him on the opposing team. Well, you said Sid's contemporary. Where do you put Ovi in that mix? Alexander Ovechkin. See, Ovi is scary because he can score. Yeah. And and he'll lay he'll lay a lick on you in the offensive zone. But defensively, he's so bad. I, I You don't want to be embarrassed by him, but I don't know if you'd consider Ovi a tough guy. I think the interesting part is, with baseball especially, and now we've kind of turned that corner here with hockey, we're discussing toughness as it relates to superstars. But then when we first brought up the NBA, the players out of my mouth were well-known, but they were not superstar basketball players. You look at, you could personally look at the Knicks and the Pacers alone and just have a field day. You look at Anthony Mason, you look at Charles Oakley, you look at a Dale Davis, you know, you look at the malice at the palace. Now, was that a good thing for sports? Not at all, but that was a roster littered with tough guys. There's also a, a lot of, in sports in general, there's a lot of wannabe tough guys. Often in the NBA, we see some of the, you know, they're, they're throwing punches at, at things and, and it doesn't make sense because they're legitimate tough guys in the NBA. The first guy that came to mind for me was Alonzo Mourning. Right. Like people didn't mess with Alonzo Mourning. He owned the paint. And I mean, you could come in there at your own peril, right? So people avoided that. But we talked about superstars. 
The toughest guy in the NBA for 10 years was Michael Jordan. It was. Like, he he was the best player. And somebody told him he wasn't, and he took that personally. Right, and he, and that's the guy. That's He's intimidating. He was intimidating not only that he'd beat you, but he would take your soul in his hand and crush it a little bit and toss it on the ground. Well, that segues beautifully into the definition of tough because that, to me, continues to be the mystery. You just mentioned Michael Jordan is intimidating. Does intimidating mean tough? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Because we started searching for, okay, we're going to relate it to the tough guys on current rosters. And and we sat there going, well, is Ooh, there anybody? Right. And maybe it made us look like get-off-my-lawn guys who appreciated the sport more in the 80s and 90s, and we probably did. But the other comparison is, does athletic or talented mean tough? Because let's go to football. Let's go to the Vikings. Yeah. We immediately thought of defensive players, and I said, well, probably Harrison Smith. And I'll still say that I'm probably right. But you look at who's supposed to be their best defensive player should be Daniil Hunter. I don't look at Daniil Hunter and think that guy's tough. I think that guy's fast. That guy's built like a great god. Right. Having talent and having toughness aren't always the same thing. But then there's the other side. Do we reward people for being tough because they have to grind through to succeed? And we kind of cover the word, you know, not very gifted or clunky and we call them tough. Yeah, and and then the ones that combine the two are the ones that make the most money. Right, those are your superstars. But tough guys in the NFL is interesting for me. And and again, maybe it's because of the sport, Brian, but tough guys for me in the NFL are a little easier, right? I mean, Lawrence Taylor. That's the first tough guy for me probably in football. Him and Mike Singletary, because this whole thing stemmed from Dick Butkus. And I realized Dick Butkus is a legend in Chicago Bears defenses. But in my childhood, it just kind of kept going for Bears defenses because Mike Singletary and the eyes getting as big as saucers was a big focus. Brian Urlacher after that, I wasn't so much a kid when Urlacher was playing, but it was whoever was in the middle for the Bears was a big deal. Yeah, Wilbur Marshall wasn't in the middle, but he was. But he was a big deal. Richard Dent as well. Richard Dent as well. How about Ronnie Lott? Yes. Like Ronnie Lott is, is also a definition of a tough guy. And there's the other thing. We've got a safety coming up to close the show with Vincey Glenn. Might have been a perfect subject to broach with him. And I know you've got to leave. I may do that because the play of a safety has changed. The things that made them tough, you can't, you literally can't do anymore. Right. Because you look at Lot, you look at Atwater, and those guys would legit take your head off. I'm all about safety, but then that play is frowned upon. Yes. So Um, you can make a pun as well. But, but, yeah, every so often. But, uh, you know, Ronnie Lott's the cut my finger off, it gets broken, and I, I need you to play, right? Right. Have he you seen the social guy. media picture of his hands? Those aren't hands. They're just along for the ride. But what about Brian Dawkins? Like, Brian Dawkins for Philly with the black mask. Right. Um, you know, everybody, you know, he, he kind of drew your attention. He was actually tough, and it wasn't just a look, because I want to go back to the NBA, because Dennis Rodman comes up all the time. And yep. I do think he was all effort, and nobody worked harder. But people were intimidated by him, but was it because he was tough or because he was weird? Because I think he maybe just looked tough as nails. Not to say that he would cower or back down, but I don't think he was necessarily trying to be tough. He was scary in a different way. Does that make sense? It it does. He would fit under intimidating because he could play your game and stop you at whatever your game right. was. He could get in your head. Yes. I don't think you'd be fearing the outcome necessarily or fearing for your life or like your you safety. Like you would have been with Morning or Charles Oakley you brought up. Right, but he would be in your head and your game is shot because he's there. But this is where it's interesting because we are, like you said, we are trying to figure out current. Right. Right? Who's the current tough guy in the NBA? I know Jimmy would love to be. 
But right. I don't think it's Jimmy. Well, and again, it's how do you define it? Is it the physical specimen that'll knock you down if you drive the lane? Is it the most athletic player because they're tough to stop? We don't think that's it. It's very hard to figure out right now. You know, you look at Jokic in Denver, and it's like he's the most gifted. He's on a defending champion. He looks like a guy that should be playing at the Y on Saturday mornings. He doesn't look like a tough guy at all. As does Luca. Right. Right. Um, I mean, Doncic is doesn't look anything like what you in your head the athletic basketball player looks like, except he gets it done every single night. Um, but then it goes to the flip side of that, and is it Patrick Beverly? Because he's you know he he's the definition of tough from 1970, right? I mean, he's gonna. Well, there's the other question: Is tough from decades ago now looked at as just kind of annoying? Yes, because Patrick Beverly is loved by a whole group of fans, and I rolled by a whole group of fans. He is tough. He's a bit of a gnat, so to speak, because he's on the smaller side as well. Yep. He's also the guy that realizes when you've done something tough and accomplished it, you're going to celebrate it. He was ridiculed for jumping on the table, winning a play-in game. I think Minnesotans who had been with that team in terrible times understood why. Yep. But does that make you tough or does that make you strange? So then, the so one of the things I was thinking about in the NBA was this Golden State Warrior run. Those guys that were on that team, the original group, that group of three, I mean, Steph and Clay and Draymond, you could kind of all put them all in that tough guy role, right? Clay right. would be the least of the three, but Steph and Draymond together? Oof. But only one of those three, do you think, if someone goes nose to nose with you, might knock you out? Right. So the definition of tough again has changed. Yeah. Because you could say Draymond's the tough guy because he'll literally mop the floor with you if he has to. I don't think Steph and Clay would do that. But those guys are tough guys as well. Yeah, because Steph takes a pounding and just keeps beating he's, you. He's a Timex. Really he is, takes a lick and keeps on ticking. It really is an interesting thing because you're right. It's about reputation. I mean, we talked about Vontez Burfitt. Was he a tough guy? In the old school way, sure. He was a headhunter. Lester Hayes, headhunter. Does that, today's day and age, I mean, look what happened to Burfitt. Gone, you know? But he completely changed Antonio Brown's career with that hit to the head. So is tough guy... Physical is tough guy. Mental fortitude is tough guy. You know, just intimidating. Those are great questions that we we can't answer. It's fun because if you look at then versus now, we can talk about how much more athletic, how much more talented football players are specifically. I look at Eric Kendricks, Anthony Barr, Viking linebackers of old now, but not that old. Where the way that they played the game was unbelievable in terms of speed and athleticism. But for my lifetime. With Viking linebackers and tough, I go to Scott Studwell immediately right, right. because I picture blood dripping off his uniform, what have you. Yeah, and then the flip side, you're right. The first real, the first Viking running back that looked like today's day and age running back, Adrian, was tough as nails. Right, like he blew the knee, came back in six weeks, right or whatever it was, and um, you know he'd run past you, run over you, run around you, whatever it took to to get where you want. But Joey Browner. You know, Joey Browner is the whole reason for the horse collar, horse collar tackle because his hands... He was very good at that. Right. And, uh, and you know, he nobody wanted to go his direction, right? But it also seemed like that's all he did. Do you know what I mean? It was it, So toughness is such an interesting question because when you say NFL and tough, Butkus is the guy who they show up. And now that he's passed, it's a whole, it's a whole different... He becomes a legend, no longer a person. No doubt about it. And his passing this week is the root for this audible, if you will, in our opening topic, because again, we got a request to change the bus driving technique. So that may be in weeks to come. Let's close with this. 
define it however you want, because we've just spent the last 20 minutes saying there's a multitude of ways you can define it. So however you want to make said definition true, who's the toughest guy on each of the four big squads for Minnesota? You can go in whatever order you want. For local. All right. So with the Twins, I am going to say it's Carlos Correa. I am as well. However. Royce Lewis is knocking at the door. He is. This is the one time that the toughness and the bus driver are hand in hand. Yeah, because I just, I mean, it's not Kepler. Buxton's not around. You can't be a tough guy and not play. Right? Sonny Gray might be in the conversation. It should be every single catcher. It probably should be Ryan Jeffers just because of what he goes through. But <laughs> right, go right, ahead. right. But I'll say it's I'll say it's Correa. Okay, I'll agree with you. Um, if you talk about the Wild, the Wild's a tough one for me because who is it? I think there's one player that stands out, and I think everybody else has an argument, and that's Eck. I think it's Erickson Eck because, he, I mean, just the way other teams talk about him. He's the guy they don't want to face. Well, and I think I went 80s or 90s on the correlation here because you brought up Eck before the show today, and I didn't disagree, but I brought up the guy that just had breaking news with a new contract. I said, are you sure it's not Hartman? And you said, Hartman's dirty. There's a difference. Well, I went back to the 1980s and 90s where that was the same thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, they call it sandpaper now. There's different grits of sandpaper. Right. Yeah, his grit is is pretty low. It's Hartman has people feeling like they're wiping their posteriors with it, if you yeah, know what I mean. Exactly correct. All right, two more teams to go. Yeah, if you think the NBA, I think we both hit it because in the with the Timberwolves, is it? It's not our centers. We know that. It could, it could be, be our, your third one. It could be our superstar. It, it could, could be your third center. It could be the one that everybody talks about the Timberwolves and just throws his name out there. The two-word tweet that is a but, name. But I wonder, and I think you're correct on this, if it's not Jaden Edwards or Jaden... Um, McDaniels. Thank you. I, I said if they have any hope of being as good as advertised this year, it needs to be him. It needs to be Jaden. At this current moment, I do think it's Nas Reed. I'm sorry. No, because, you have to be sorry for that. Because I think in the NBA, it, it needs to be a big man that needs to be imposing his will. Well, we have three talented big men, but talented and tough aren't the same. Right. The first two, Gobert and Towns, are talented. They are not tough. Right. They're not. I mean, Go, Gobert is intimidating as a shot blocker, right? The the other guy, like we said, last year's Timberwolves, it's Torian Prince with a bullet, right? Uh, and then the final team is our current Vikings, right? Uh, who's the tough guy there? And, you know, we said Harrison Smith to start with. Is it possible the guy is Kirk Cousins? Because he gets absolutely crushed. Like the nat- He makes it tough on our fans to formulate an opinion. Well, but he plays broken. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so if it's tough, resilient, it probably is Kirk Cousins, if you think about it. That's really a weird thing to say. I'm going to go with a guy who looks the part, but reputationally it's the reverse. The way he just literally manhandles people at his position, I think it's got to be Derisaw, but he has no mean streak to him. So maybe he's not very tough. Maybe it's the opposite tackle. Maybe it's Brian O'Neill. Could be the local guy. CJ? Yeah. You got to play fullback. You got to be tough to even do that. Yep. That's why, what, three NFL teams even employ one? Yeah, 100%. CJ Ham, Kyle Juszczyk, and somebody tell so me tell the third us, one? Tell us what you, think the, what you think the definition of tough guy is. That'll be fun to hear from other people. Yeah, tweet at us, at NSPFan1065. What defines tough in sports today? I think that's a harder question than who the players are. One thing's for certain, you don't have to be mean anymore. Taylor Swift tells us so. We'll talk more twins when we come back. Northland Sports Page, stick around. I do. Today and every day, we are the Northland Sports Page. Brian Prudhomme, Dave Cook. The next two days are going to be gigantic in the world of Minnesota Twins fans. The ALDS with the Twins and the Astros starts today and continues tomorrow night. First two in Houston. Then they'll come back to Minneapolis, the ruckus target field, we hope. Next Tuesday and Wednesday, it's fun. To be into October by yeah, right. seven days and still playing meaningful baseball. It is, and it is 
like you said, it's meaningful in the in the way that it, the way they played, smart baseball, uh, aggressive, the whole the whole thing. That's not just fun; it's something to be proud of. The Korea stuff, the both games. I mean, goodness gracious, that sort of that sort of baseball is the kind that you gravitate towards. Absolutely. And speaking of gravitating towards baseball, they don't have to pull on you and me. We absolutely love this sport from start to finish. But if you're a casual and you're going, oh, the Twins are in the playoffs, I'll I'll check this out. How are you not absolutely drawn to this? But I think maybe come next April, you're going to be filled with disappointment because the difference between regular season baseball and playoff baseball is so large. Yes. Because I get it. I mean, I get into inning by inning. I take baseball very seriously. But I've never seen anything like this where, you know, every 3-2 count has 40,000 people on their feet. Isn't it interesting that I I think the only sport that doesn't necessarily have to raise its energy level for playoffs is football, right? Because the NFL always seems to be on pitch. Right. But the hockey season during the season, uh, you know, they're just grinding away. NBA, we've heard it before. Regular season's unwatchable. Playoffs are probably the best thing out there. Um, And for baseball, it's such a long drag that – Guys are trying to stay healthy. They're trying to win. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, it's it's a different animal. And you hit you hit playoffs, and it's yeah, it's all on deck. There's a different passion behind it, without question. Can we all admit that we were just simply wrong about baseball's rule changes? Because yes. the pitch clock, except for the ghost runner, that's the, right. But they got rid of that for playoffs. These okay. games, if they need to, can go forever. But the pitch clock is awesome. Yeah, let's move this thing along. The no shift. You're not getting a ton of offense but you're not getting, you know, ridiculous should be hits taken away. Everything that they've asked to change was a change for the better. Yeah, I think you're right. And I never saw that coming. No, well, the shift is still a bit of an eye roll to me, but I understand it and it worked. They right? adapted it. They didn't eliminate it. Right. Um, but the pitch clock, the pitch clock has been a difference maker in the sport and and who would have thought? Well, I can tell you selfishly as somebody that had to be at Duluth East for various prep athletic events before the Twins game was over, but got to see a lot more innings because of the pitch clock. I'm also thankful for that piece. <laughs> People don't realize how passionate I am, not only about prep athletics, but of the four Minnesota pro men's sports franchises, and I'm sorry, Loons fans, but you need a new coach anyway before I'll acknowledge you again. But at the same time, people don't realize how much I care about the Minnesota Twins, and then there's the other three. The Vikings are right there, and the Wolves and Wild are right there as well. But the Minnesota Twins are never you know, behind any of those teams in my world. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely fair. And and you're like kid in a candy store right now. I am. Because, again, I'll say it. Those past Twins teams, except the Bomba Squad, right? Those past Twins teams, you were hoping for a win. Maybe two. But did you think they were going to come back and sweep that Yankees team? No. This team has a shot, Brian. I know that sounds so weird coming from no, me I agree because with I'm you, negative. And that's the scariest part about it. Yeah, they've got two really good playoff starters we're going to find out if ober can do what he needs to do we got a strong bullpen if we play defense like we did we're going to hit a little bit like i've said it for they the do past need to month hit a little and a bit half. more because by the way in the two game sweep of the jays they hit a whopping 207 they actually got out hit in that series they just outpitched everybody yeah outpitched and out defensed right um but that, and out manage tip of the cap to rocco for truly, once truly truly and they won't do that this rocco won't outmanage dusty baker you wouldn't think but the Twins, I mean, put them side by side. The Twins are not that much worse. They're not worse than than the Astros player by player. It's whether or not the experience that the Astros have is going to play. And it's who maximizes their potential or who's got the most potential left. Because 
Justin Verlander versus Bailey Ober, if you just say those names in this nation, people laugh and go, put my mortgage on Houston because Justin Verlander has been that good for that long, especially against the Twins. Yep. And then Framber Valdez has been very good as well, has a no-hitter this season. They've got a top two guys that they can lean on too. But at the same time, statistically, I think Sonny's been just about as good as Valdez. Pablo's been just about as good. And you mentioned it. Verlander hasn't been that Verlander. But my you know counter to that was, yeah, but he seems to find that person every time the twins come calling. Yeah, that's that's very true. And And if Bailey Ober pitches well, then I think – things really change. If if Bailey Ober comes in and gives up six in a first, you know we're going to put this move right next to the Uber driver, right? You start It's going to be the Uber driver instead. Yeah, right. You start you start the biggest playoff series you've had in 20 years and you run a kid out there. Well, that question was brought up on social media by some people this week about Joe Ryan was scheduled to pitch game 3 if they had needed one, which means the Twins were going to lean on Joe Ryan in an elimination game. Now you've got a clean slate, a brand new series. And they're not going to him. They're going to someone who didn't make the roster the round before. But to me, this makes perfect sense. As a pitcher, period, I might prefer by the slimmest of margins Joe Ryan over Bailey Ober just because of the innings of experience. But in this scenario, it's Bailey Ober by a landslide because Bailey Ober does a better job of keeping people in the park, and the park in Houston is a bandbox. Yep, I agree with that 100%. The reason Joe Ryan isn't starting game one is because you're playing with a field that's 285 down the lines, and Joe gives up home runs. I mean, he everything else he does is fantastic. He, he's like Blylevin, right? Blylevin did a lot of things well. He'd give up 50 home runs a year. Um, Joe Ryan gives up home runs, and that's the wrong field. So we know that Carlos Correa is going to have to be great. Royce Lewis is going to have to continue to be great. Who are the other players that you're going to say, you know, there's got to be that hidden element or that third weapon, if you will? Yeah. Who are you looking for to be better well, in this series? Almost has to be Kirilov. Um, that being said, he hasn't. He's not been great over the last bit. Um, if Royce is healthy enough to play third, and you can put Polanco back at second, uh, it might be Polanco. But um, I don't think we're going to get to that point. But Polanco needs to be better. I agree with that because I do think he's going to be the third baseman, and he can't be the third baseman he was, especially in Game One in Minnesota earlier this week. Right, because Houston doesn't Houston doesn't make dumb mistakes. Well, and their third baseman is defensively very good. Yeah. Alex Bregman might be might be because of his experience the Astro I'm most scared of. I know how good Altuve is. I know how good Kyle Tucker is. I know Jordan and how talented he is. I, I get it. That lineup doesn't quit. Jose Abreu is kind of a big deal still too. But, also a but twin killer. Bregman, just that savvy, you want to talk toughness, it's more savvy for him that scares me. Yeah, I, I just think that, you know, the the other guy that the other guy that kind of came to play and made some really nice defensive plays, but we could use a little of that offensive spark that he provided was Taylor. You know, Taylor yeah. played a really nice center field. We could use, uh, you know, one of those bops that he well, had and we could the use year. We could use second half Max Kepler to come to the plate and go, you know what, remind you of all that I can hit now. Man, if I see that, I'll be so happy. I just don't I don't trust him anymore. And he had a really good six weeks, thank goodness, because he's a guy that helped bring us there, right? He could easily go over. Like, I, I don't trust him. I'm going to call it right now. The we don't need him thing is still a big deal, and Dan Barrero is excellent in the world of journalism, especially in radio, and he's going to bring this out if he has the opportunity. But I'm going to tell you it's going to go in reverse. There is a former twin that could be a big deal for Houston, Ryan Presley is their closer. This series, I expect game by game to be tight. Yep. I could be dead wrong, but that's what I expect. I'm going to call it right now. Ryan Presley is going to blow one 
for the Houston Astros. The Twins are going to victimize them at some point. How far do you think the Twins go? When we're sitting here next week, what's going to be? I was going to say, let's predict it right now. Let's go series by series. We can make the Twins the big finish if you'd like. But I love this day in baseball, even though we've got Mayak football coming up in just over an hour. And you've got volleyball after that. And I've got a wedding today. But from a baseball fan perspective, I love this day of baseball. You've got Texas and Baltimore, although the weather in Baltimore seems to be playing a factor in that one being delayed at least. Philly and Atlanta, Arizona and L.A., Twins and Houston. Texas, Baltimore. I know you think Baltimore's too young to succeed. Who wins it? Yeah, I think Bal- this isn't Baltimore's year to win it. I think I I just don't trust Texas as bullpen. I don't. So I'm going to go with Texas okay. because I don't think Baltimore has the maturity to do this yet. Um, I could be wrong, but I'm going to go with Texas hesitantly. <laughs> I'm going to go with Baltimore hesitantly, and people who listen to half an hour are going to go, wait a minute. You just championed Texas for half of this hour, but I'm going to go against Texas because of everything you just said. I think most of the nation, most of the pundits have the opinion that you do, that there's no experience in Baltimore. They're going to be too naive to get this done. I think they're going to be too naive to know that they shouldn't. And I think the talent is just going to win it for Baltimore. Philadelphia was the Cinderella story last year. They get the best team in baseball, the Braves. Yeah, they get the best team for most of the year in yeah. baseball. They have, they've got a lot of injuries in Atlanta right now. Um, and Philly's kind of got the horseshoe. If Philly's don't, it's us that has the horseshoe, right? Um, I'm going to pick Atlanta, um, but... <sighs> I was going to say, that's going to be an Atlanta in five for me. I think it goes the maximum, but I think Atlanta's injured, but that lineup doesn't quit. They've built right. to be able to overcome injury. right? And so there they are. Arizona, I love the fact that they're there because they eliminated the Brewers and yeah. Packer fans can't pretend to care about something else for a while. I know that doesn't pertain to like six of you, but you get the overall theme of that. But can the Diamondbacks be the giant killers against the Dodgers? Dodgers are injured as well. Um, and they got one guy that's not playing, uh, one pitcher. But the Dodgers are really, really good. And I'm picking the Dodgers. Like, I'm just picking the Dodgers. I was going to say, I feel like the LA Dodgers are just lather, rinse, repeat. They're going to be there in the end. How far to the end can they go? That might be the question. National League's got some good teams. It leaves one series. Twins in Houston, who you got and how many? I, I have to use my... my um, Optimist can never be yes. pleasantly surprised. So, I'm going, so here comes the Astros I'm going to pick Astros in five. All right, I'm going to take the Twins in five because... I can Please never, know that I'm doing it for a reason. I was going to say, we're both sticking to our habits. Dave does it because the optimist can never be pleasantly surprised. And I can tell you for hours what I think about analysis of the series and the game and the teams. And we've done that for the bulk of this show that has 15 minutes left in it. But I will never publicly pick against Minnesota because I would never rather be pleased or rather be right than pleased. I don't want to be right and say, I picked Houston. I told you. I don't care about that. I want to enjoy myself. And I'm going to enjoy a Twins victory in this series in five games. It's going to be amazing. Maybe the Vikings will even beat the Chiefs on Sunday. we got to break that down, too. I'll do it with Vincey Glenn. Dave Cook says goodbye. I'll see you in a few minutes. Yep, we'll see you. Saints Scholastic football kicks off at 1 o'clock. That's where we're headed after the show. The PA guy has got to be there before the play-by-play guy. Stick around for one more segment. Hope you will, too. Northland Sports Page will be right back. A little Taylor Swift. You need to calm down. The NFL may need to calm down with all their Taylor Swift coverage. It doesn't bother me at all. I enjoy her music. I know how iconic she's become for a generation already. But I tell you what, I don't want to see much Taylor Swift tomorrow. Because if we don't, hopefully it means the Kansas City Chiefs are struggling as they come to U.S. Bank Stadium tomorrow afternoon. It's time to break down Vikings and Chiefs. We do it with Vincey Glenn. Vincey, good morning, sir. What's happening, man? Good morning. 
Good morning to you. Now, Vikings Chiefs, on paper, this is the defending Super Bowl champions against a team that has gotten off to a fairly rotten start. Yes, they found the win column last week, but most people can beat Carolina. In fact, everybody on their schedule has so far. What do the Vikings need to do to have a chance in this game? Because if you're a betting man, and I'm not, the Vegas line keeps going down with the Chiefs spread, you know, minimizing. What kind of chance do you give the Vikes tomorrow? Well, they have to play three sound areas of football, and that's special teams, offense, and defense. The offense just can't go three and out. Mahomes going to wear your defense down. They have to establish some kind of run. They have to establish short passes, mixing up. They have to get Hawkinson involved. And the running backs catching the ball out of the backfield. If they're just waiting on the, the big the big Jefferson play, the 40, 50-yarder, unless the Chiefs blow a coverage, they're not going to give them that. And their defensive line is good. And if they don't protect uh, Cousins and they have him, have him a little rattle in the pocket, their 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 secondary is good enough to capitalize off it. So it's just they got to play good football. They haven't played four quarters of good football yet this year, and they need to do that to have a chance to beat this team. Absolutely, no question. They have yet to play four complete quarters of football. I asked you what they needed to do because I got to say, last week when I asked you that question, you absolutely nailed it. You talked about against the Panthers establishing the run, and I thought they did a good job of that, and it set the tone for the day. Can that be a big part of tomorrow too? Because we all know that. Even though it's only two players to me because the rest is relatively nondescript, Mahomes and Kelsey in that offense, when they want to, they can put on a show. If you run the ball effectively, they're not out there very much. Is that a big factor again tomorrow? Yeah, well, Mahomes is going to use up the clock. This is not a team that just hits you for 40, 50 yards. They just move the ball down the field, running the ball, throwing short passes, getting 15 yards. So they have all kind of ways to keep a defense off. And if you think you're just going to line up and, and go blitz Mahomes and get to him without him getting rid of the ball or being able to scramble, he'll hurt you. So you have to be real strategic about how you go into this game plan where your offense kind of matches your defense so they can balance each other out so one of them's not stressed out a lot. And this is a very good football team they're playing, and you have to realize mistakes that you've been making you got to get rid of them. Not minimize, get rid of them. Erasing the mistakes would be huge. I'm glad you talked about the blitzing because the Vikings and Brian Flores in this system is notorious for, quote, sending the house. But Mahomes is elusive, and he can get rid of the ball quickly, and those legs, we know how talented they are without question. So my question for you, and you talked about it a little bit already, was what do they change schematically against a quarterback that is so mobile? Because we hear about, well, put a spy on a quarterback – we don't hear about that as much as we used to, but what schematically do you think changes, or is it just we play our game and we adjust as we go? Well, there's no spot on a quarterback because now all quarterbacks are capable of running, and so you have to have a middle linebacker that can get out and pass coverage and thing and depend on your defensive line. That's why they pay DMs so much to come off the ball and get to the quarterback in, 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 in three seconds. I, I just think that going into this game, in this game only, that you can't wait for the Jefferson big play. That's that's the only thing I can say is that everybody waits for the Jefferson big play. And as a team and how you thinking of going, first of all, they're not playing Bryce Young this week. Right, and that's a huge a guy factor. Like a rookie, playing a guy rookie one week and then playing decent, even though he made a lot of mistakes that helped you out. 
and you made a lot of mistakes against a team that's not that good. This is a whole nother beast with Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Coaching-wise, but special teams-wise, offensively and defensively, and how they approach every game. And it's a big game, and it sets the tone. So the whole last week is last week. They have to find a game plan that makes them comfortable where they can utilize the clock on offense and get off the field on third downs on defense and, and play solid specialty. That's that simple. They will 100% have to bring their A game tomorrow. I want to talk to you about something that Dave and I, Dave is out of the studio right now because he's en route to a college football game that we'll be covering today. But we began this second hour of the show talking about the term tough guy or talking about toughness in sports, maybe more specifically. And it stemmed from the passing of Dick Butkus earlier this week. Dick Butkus, of course, one of the more legendary linebackers to play the game. I want to talk about what the word tough meant to you when you played and maybe what it means now because you played safety. We all talk about toughness in the 80s and 90s, going over the middle and somebody got their head taken off. You can't do that in today's game. The rules have changed. What was tough when you played? What did it mean? And what do you think it means now? I don't, I don't, I don't think the word has ever changed. The word, words don't change. It's just a word. It's letters. How you approach that word and and delve it into you and and what you're trying to accomplish in your world well-being or as I like to say your DNA is totally on the individual. It's just a word. What what is tough? Uh, I seen tough guys cry. So would you call him a tough guy? Uh, uh, would you call him a tough guy? I seen kids that don't cry when they fall and break a leg. Are they tough? Uh, it's just a tough. The word tough is a mental thing. And you can apply it to anything you like. Somebody said, oh, that was a tough test. Well, you're not going to say the piece of paper beat me up and the pencil stabbed me. <laughs> you know right. what I'm saying? Right. That's a good so point. It's, it's, it's just a, it's a, it's a word and it's applicable to the, whatever the situation may be and how the, and how the person handled that, that situation. I think that's a very unique perspective. I like it a lot. We talked about that word and the definition because it was so different, say, 30 years ago than it is now. But speaking of 30 years ago, there's a Sunday night game this week. It's the Niners and the Cowboys that I said we might as well party like it's 1995 because those two teams were as good as it gets back then, and they might be close to it now. I asked Dave if the two best teams in the NFC are right there, and of course we mentioned the Eagles but do you see this game as being a dandy or is one team way ahead of the other? I personally think the 49ers and the Eagles are the two best teams in football. And then uh, Buffalo Bills and Miami Dolphins are half a, half a game behind them. Uh, uh, I don't put Dallas up there. I've been around football a long time. And they've been hyping Dallas for 30, 40 years. And they haven't been to a Super Bowl, a playoff game, and all they winning. Yeah, they're going to talk about them every year because they're the most remarkable team in the league. Even when they're not playing well, they hype them up as this is the game of the week. Uh, I think when you're looking at championship teams like San Francisco, look at the end game, the long game. I think Dallas Cowboys fans, uh, they just look for week-to-week hype. You know, and uh, I think San Francisco is trying to put together a championship team because you have to to beat the Philadelphia Eagles. And I think that's the way teams are approaching uh, the NFL now. They don't put one team over another one because players come and go. And uh, it's all about chemistry and your locker room that makes championships. 
That certainly is a huge factor. Fancy, I'm going to break a rule that you imposed on me a couple of weeks ago. You told me don't ask about Kirk Cousins on the show ever again. <laughs> but I, but I got to do it, and I'm going to do it in a very unique way. When I, when I finish this question, you're going to say, Brian, you're nuts. What did you ask me about this for? But we talked a lot about the Minnesota Twins on this show today because their playoff run continues. Now, Kirk Cousins, he's made it known in the Netflix documentary that Tuesdays, even though they're not an off day for the team, they're an off day for him. And he spent it with the family at the Twins game and then got attacked by Mike Florio about if this guy wants to be great, he can't be taking a day off to go to a baseball game when preparing for the defending champions. Okay, sure, maybe, but that's making a mountain out of a molehill. Did you have a problem with that or is it ridiculous to tell somebody you can't be a dad when you need to be a football player. Man, I don't really get into people's personal life off the field because they can do what they want. Uh, but I'm all about, I'm a locker room guy, period, in the conversation, man. And I truly understand, and I don't care what nobody says, what goes on in the locker room affects what goes on on the field on Sunday. Just that simple. And people don't know that because the one golden rule in the NFL, what goes on in the locker room stays in the locker room. Nowadays, with social media, things leak a little more. Uh, but, you know, every individual, the word professional is different to them. How they handle it, how they approach it, and what it means. Uh, certain guys in the league know they only got a short window of, of being on the championship team or making the amount of money that's going to put them to the max while they're playing, whether it's three years or two years or whatever. Everybody is not comfortable in making a whole lot of money where they say, well, I'm comfortable in my job set and my job skills, and I'm, 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 I'm good. I work when I want to work. Everybody's not comfortable like that. Right. Everybody knows that my time to win is now or I'm going to be on another team or I might get hurt and be out the league. You know what I'm saying? So – when you're in a comfortable state, always say you're at your worst when you're comfortable. Because now football is a heightened sense sport. Your senses and all that get heightened. And when they go down, that's when things happen. That's when things happen. Because the obvious don't become the obvious to you no more. And it's the mundane things that make the players great and uh, brings greatness out because they're able to do the mundane things like it's nothing when most people complain about them. So I, I don't want to get into that. Uh, the record is the record. It's play is his play. And you'll, you'll see that it's, it's, it affects. So he can do what he want to do. That's fair. I can appreciate that. Last question should only take about 10 seconds. I haven't asked you for this in a long time. Give me a score tomorrow. Oh, I'm... Uh, 30, 30, I don't know, 31, 20. Uh, I, I think they're going to have, Vikings going to have a tough time, uh, one, defending the Chiefs, and two, establishing a, a real running game. I'm sure they may have burst, but they really need to establish the running game. All right, Vince, you are the best. I love talking to you. I love that you tell it like it is. Have a good rest of your weekend. I know we'll talk tomorrow. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. All right, that's our guy, Vince Glenn. That is the Northland Sports Page. Thank you, Anthony LaPanta. Thank you, Dave Cook. Thank you, Dave Hoops. Thank you to Vincey Glenn. Thank you, Northland. Have a good rest of your weekend. Go Twins. Go Vikes. Time for two more. Tomorrow, I'll be here. Eric Lofalt fills in for Steve Potosha. We talk to you then.